Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, also known as Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you're interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added juicy bonus segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. All righty. So this week's episode... Uh, hi, Robbie. Yes. Say hi to you. Hi, buddy. You said juicy bonus content. I, I, I know. I knew, I made you smile when I said juicy. I know. That sounded <laughs> wrong. Just wrong. Well, see, see, that's my descriptive word for extra bonus materials that may be a little bit edgy. You know, we've yes. talk of, and it's true. Yes. We add Not more to that. Not safe for work. NSFW. Yes. Nisfu or Nisfu. 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 Yes. <laughs> And this flu reminds me of, of something very funny that you used to do all the time. Um, our pads are personal access display devices, the little pads we'd get information from. Yes. And Robbie, Robbie McNeil on set was the first person to call it a pad. -d 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 -d. <laughs> was, yeah, spelled P-A-D-D. So I would, in fact, I was talking to uh, Ethan Phillips about that just recently. And he yeah. said the very first time he realized that I was, a troublemaker and going to be some fun is when we were doing a scene together and the shot was on him early on. And I had the line that had pad in it. Yeah. And, and so I wasn't on camera. He was the one on camera. Right. And I said uh, something about the pad. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> he looked at me and I, he was like, I can't believe he just did that <laughs> on, on my shot. Uh, but I did. So, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. All right. So this week's episode is uh, Eye of the Needle. So, um, yes, Eye yeah. of the Needle. I absolutely know what that's about. <laughs> that episode, because I have such a good memory, that episode is about Tom Paris learning how to sew. And, <laughs> and it was about the needle that he used to sew, because nobody, nobody knows this. But Tom Paris made all of the uniforms by hand. And that episode, I think, was about how he started making the uniforms with this magic needle. Right? You know what? You Am are right. Yeah, you're a master craftsman. Um, so you're jumping a little ahead of ourselves because yes. <laughs> we're so for those of you who are with us on Patreon, we're going to play a little game of what do we remember. And of course, those of you who are not on our Patreon patrons, you've just got a little dose of that. Um, and for everyone else, we'll be right back with our recap after this break. Okay, guys, so we are back from watching. Eye of the Needle, story by Hilary J. Bader, teleplay by Bill Diaz and Jerry Taylor, so not Michael Piller like we were thinking, and directed by Rick Colby. And I know when you watch the screen, guys, you see you don't see Rick, you see W-I-N-R-I-C-H. So that's the German way of saying that it. That is Winrich. 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 Ah. As yeah. many times as I went yeah. Colby would say, and one more time, und action. He'd say like, yeah, he had this German <laughs> accent, very classic, the old German Hollywood director. We loved Rick Colby. His accent was not 
as heavy as you you did you did a hogan's heroes i did hogan's heroes yes i i am a hogan's heroes fan yes but what's so great about rick was that um he would always make these jokes like he would try to lighten up the mood of the set i remember he would make these really cheesy kind of dad jokes you know but they were still funny they made they lightened the tone and i think it's it's smart for any director to sort of lighten the mood on the set and that's something that I want to commend you Robbie because when you direct and I've been around yes. you I've been around you when you've been directing uh, Chuck and, and other episodes of Voyager obviously um, and you you have that down to a T um, you bring a little portable speaker with you you play music but you do I things do. to ease, ease it right I like it to be you know what I feel like if the environment is uh, welcoming and warm and relaxed that the actors are going to feel more relaxed. They're going to do a better job. You know, yeah. I do, I really do. And, and having been an actor and you've, you, you are an actor, you know how this feels like if, if it's stressful, if the environment is like people yelling and, and, and uh, it's really uptight, then it's hard to feel safe enough to do a good performance. So yeah, I like to have a, a warm, fun, but professional, like we got a job to do. We definitely have a job to do, but why not have fun doing it? I mean, that's why we decided to do this as a career and work in this business was to be creative and to, and to have fun, so. Yeah, and it's, it's so true. I mean, you could also relate that to sports, like a golf swing or a basketball free throw. Uh, the more relaxed yeah. you are, the more chance that you're going to succeed. And it's yeah. definitely the case for actors too. And when you're uptight, you don't do your best work. Yeah, I, I actually think it's true for any career. I, I think it, I've talked to a lot of different people. If you're a scientist and you're trying to figure out a, some kind of breakthrough, like sometimes the best thing I've heard is to kind of try to meditate, clear your mind, mm -hmm. think about, you know, take a walk um, because it's, it's when the brain sort of digs into the subconscious, the place that we can't really control and we get calm enough, that's when the good stuff comes out. So I think for any career, that kind of approach, or at least giving yourself, sometimes you got to do the hard work and it's, it's not fun. You just got to dig in and do it, but giving yourself the time and space when you can to, to relax and clear your mind and, and find inspiration somehow. Over the years, Robbie, I've gone to Germany and you've done Germany conventions also as well. Um, I've been to Germany probably close to two dozen times now. And, um, you know, I pride myself in pronouncing words especially yeah. names like and his name every time i went to rick colby i said so is this how you say it and i'd said Winrich. and he's like mm, close but no I go, Winrich. and he's like mm, close but not exactly and he would do that to me <laughs> every time so he was, was very like, funny yeah he's a funny guy mm. um and i just want to take a second before we dive into this episode i i feel like you know it would be a disservice to our listeners if we don't have uh, if we don't bring up things that we think about after the fact, like for instance, yeah. from the episode, the phage, when you were talking about your slap of the doctor that you would have done that over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, went yeah, back yeah. to watch that and holy moly, you just, it was the lightest, like, eh, like, that, like you, you were, you were like, hi, like that. It wasn't, there was so slow. And I thought, God, you were so right. You should have just like doo, 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 did a whole yeah. bunch of and punches, which would have been hilarious. Well, I think part of it was also because it was a visual effect, because it had to go through him, that 
you know, he was, they had to photograph him there and then have him out. And I had to sort of go as if he was there. So it was a very, you know, that's, that's another thing. I mean, you know, you and I um, actually did a workshop at my acting studio in Atlanta. um, What a year ago or more. Something, something like that. And David Beden, who's one of the owners and uh, a visual effects supervisors from a company called Cosa Visual Effects, which is an amazing award-winning visual effects company. And he's a good friend of mine. So Garrett, Dave, David Beden and myself gave a acting class on acting with visual effects because hmm. it's not always easy. So the slap that you're talking about is a great example of, you know, um, I, I think I could have done that slap better even though there was a visual effects challenge of not having anyone there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they had to get it right in the frame at a certain height and a certain, on a certain mark that was, I had to imagine yet. I think it would have been nice to have done a few different versions of that. You know, maybe one where I really swung through hard or, yeah. or went at it a couple of times and then maybe even sort of waved at it. Like he's not a physical being, he's a hologram. So that, I don't know, there might've been something more we could have done there. That's why I would have done a do-over. Yeah, and you know, I think people have to give us a little leeway just because that stuff's new to us as well. I mean, if we're, if we're used to doing, you know, Macbeth when we're, in, when we're in theater school in college or whatever, and then you come out and then they tell you, okay, you can't just slap. You have to have, be so technically minded about height of the slap, your eye line, look at, and you're, you're considering all these things that it actually takes away from the real slap because if you do it too fast for the camera, that's not good. And so it had to be the exact speed, the exact Slow height. enough that it would Slow, read, yeah. that it's going It would through. read, yes. So yeah. that, was, that was probably why, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, and, we, I, and, and honestly, we may have done 10 different versions of it and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the editors and the producers chose that version. They I don't pick that one. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. there were. If if I were making the choice, maybe I would have chosen a different take. So, yeah. but acting with visual effects is definitely a, a different skill. And I thought when we did that workshop at my acting studio last year, I thought it was really effective. You know, and it was and helping the actors and and talking about how the things you have to imagine or you're talking about techno babble, you know, how do you ground that kind of dialogue into something that feels uh, authentic and and tangible. And so, yeah, exactly. So we came into this episode, the last episode, Captain Janeway thought maybe there was coffee in that nebula in the last episode. (laughs) She was like, yes, let's go and get some energy in that nebula. So that's where we're coming from is, uh, is that episode? We come into this this episode, and Harry found a wormhole, and and Tom Paris even says, "I think we should name it the Harry Kim wormhole." And when I heard that oh, today, when I watched the episode, I heard that I, it was just awkward. That was just an awkward moment for me. I recorded my moment <laughs> is, is in reaction to that line. Exactly. So your yeah. line, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. The Harry Kim wormhole. It just sounds inappropriate and awkward. It's just even awkward for me to say now. So, uh, yeah, but, but actually the truth is that's a big deal. Like we're very early in our, we're lost in the Delta quadrant. We're early on this journey and you're the guy who's going to give us the first opportunity. You discover the beginnings. 
of the first opportunity we might get home. So that was really exciting and a big deal, a big deal for your character, I thought. Yeah, I was uh, definitely trying to go for rookie of the year on the ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I'm looking at. Yeah, so Kim finds it. And then we find out, obviously, that it is a micro wormhole. It's a 30 centimeters. 30 centimeters. Yeah. Which also wants me, I want to bring something up, Robbie. Did you notice this is the second time we referred to um, a quantitative or a measure of something in metric? Oh, okay. We talked about that before. Someone, uh, something, someone else said something, but we mentioned meters as well. And but centimeters is mm -hmm. not what we would say in this country, in the United States. We would say inches, feet. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're the only we're the only first world country that is not on the metric system. I, I think, know, right? <laughs> but star although you, although yeah. you, you and I know Canada very well. I've I've worked up there a lot, and the people in Canada, even though they're on the metric system, when it comes to talking about their like their property lines on their yeah. house they always say feet oh it's about 120 foot lot and i'm like i've said to them in canada i'm like, like well wait a minute you? you're aren't you on metric like how many meters they're like i don't know it's weird they're like like i talk about gas in liters but i talk about my my yard or you know like like those kind of measurements in feet i don't know why <laughs> that uh, is funny Maybe so can't, yeah they're sort of a hybrid sort of half z half half c half c Country. It's be, it's because they're on the same landmass as we are. As, That's probably as, why. As the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing they do stick to is is temperature for um, the weather. They definitely yes. do not do Fahrenheit. It's and Celsius. they don't even understand Fahrenheit. It's funny. They understand feet as opposed to meters for for right. their yard. But when you say, "Wait, fourteen Celsius," what is that? You know, I ask them, "What is that in Fahrenheit?" And they're like, "I don't know. I don't know. Maybe." I don't hold that against them because I can't even figure out that conversion. Uh, either way, I can't no. go from Celsius to Fahrenheit, and I can't go from Fahrenheit to Celsius. So yeah. it's not it's not easy. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. So we so we find a wormhole. It's thirty mm -hmm. centimeters, and then I say to you again, I, or I say to someone, I say, uh, "Boy, that's the smallest wormhole I've ever seen." Yeah. And I thought to myself, "How many wormholes has Tom Paris seen?" <laughs> like. When did he become the wormhole guy? Like, we're going to name it the Harry Kim wormhole, and wow, that's the smallest wormhole I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. That just jumped out at me like, wow. Uh, uh, we go to the sick bay. Uh, yes. The officer is treating the doctor very rudely. Lieutenant Baxter, uh, mm -hmm. Tom Virtue was the guest actor. Lieutenant Baxter, I, I loved that, that storyline, that character, because... Again, the doctor enters this series in such a beautiful way. The story is laid out so so perfectly and so humanly. And uh, there's a lot of moments we'll talk about with the doctor's story in here. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought uh, Tom Virtue was great as Baxter. Why didn't we see him again? You know, I don't think he ever came back. They don't even call him as Baxter. They don't even call his. They don't. They don't say his name. They just say oh, really? lieutenant. Yeah. So for you to have Baxter as that's good. You did your homework. I'm I proud. did a little homework. I did a little homework when we went and watched this. Um, yeah. I thought I thought Tom Virtue was wonderful, and I've I've seen him as a character actor in lots of things. And it's funny that we didn't. There weren't a lot of characters that recurred on our show. That you know, crew members that would were smaller roles that came back. Seska yeah. obviously had a big thing. We didn't have a lot of them, so that was somebody I thought he was so good. I wished we had brought him back. But anyway, it is odd, you know. 
especially for the size of the crew complement of that ship, you should have seen yeah. him once. For sure. I, I, because part of me felt like, well, who is this guy talking crap to the doctor? Like I would have been more invested if I had seen him in engineering or I'd seen him somewhere, you know, uh, yeah. seen him in the mess hall. We'd had a little moment or something. Then I would have been yeah. more invested because I like later on, we'll get mm -hmm. there, but I like later on what drives the captain to go talk to him is uh, this idea that the whole, the whole ship is, is talking crap about the doctor. So, so Tom Virtue, this guy who, who wasn't really um, established as a regular, had to carry that story and kind of speak for the whole crew. Uh, it yeah. would have been nice if either he had been more involved or if, if more of us had been a part of that story as well. Yeah. After sickbay, we go to conference room. Do we call it the conference room? The meeting room? What was it? What was it on the call sheet? What did you call that room where we all had the? Well, now you just got me confused. I think <laughs> we called it. Yeah, the briefing room. Briefing room. Briefing room. I'm sitting yeah. here writing down. I go. It's not the conference room. No, it's not. it's not. No, you had me confused for a minute. The briefing room. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, and I just wanted to say. I just wanted all the fans out there to know that I was always nervous for these briefing room scenes, mainly because. Uh, you're at, it's sort of like, um, it's not your home, it's not your home base. You know, the home base is the bridge. Like my little op, my little operations area, I felt the most comfortable in. And anytime yeah. we were on this set with, with it, just that big conference table, um, there was just less protection of, you know, my actual console wasn't there protecting me. I'm sitting right next to all of you. I have to make sure a little that... claustrophobic in that room. The, it, was, yeah. it was not as big as it looks on screen. It was much smaller. Yeah. And so you get the crew in there and the cameras in there. And it always yeah. felt like, and there was only one door to the bridge and one door out the back and that was it. Yeah. So you, you felt a little like trapped. I yeah, did, at least. that's true. And it gets hot in there. But yep. mainly, I really, I just wanted to impress the rest of you guys. I just wanted to make sure that you guys were like, okay, yeah, the young kids doing it, you know, so I, I just, I was the most nervous filming scenes in the briefing. And I and also sitting on those chairs, I didn't know, should I sit? Should I sit leaned in? Should I actually lean all because if you watch that episode, Balana's totally just she's she's lounging. She's back up against the back of her chair and I'm a little bit more forward. So then you have to make those choices as an actor, like where are you gonna be? But well, I thought some, sometimes you have to make that choice because if she doesn't sit back, she'll block you, you know, where wherever the camera is. That's true. That's, that's probably that's honestly, that's probably why you were leaned forward there and she was leaned back. The director or the camera operators would often tell us, you know, hey, I'm lining up this shot and yeah. for everybody to be clear. Yeah. You've got to sit back and you've got to lean forward and yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, we go to engineering, you have a nice little backstory with Balana. Um, you find out from her conversation with Kim that she really has nobody waiting for her back at Earth, um, which is kind of sad to be honest. And her mother's yeah. on, you know, on the on the Klingon homeworld, the father she hasn't spoken to since she was five, it's just she has nobody except for her yeah. Maquis friends. You right before we, we get into that scene. You have a line where you're talking to the captain and you say, I can modify our subspace communications band to accept the probe as a booster. And you're really enthusiastic. Yeah. And then the captain says, do it or something. And yeah. I felt like you were going to say, warp particles. <laughs> it was kind of like you did a, you did a fist pump and you were like, you were like, I can do it as a booster. And she says, do it. And you're like, I warp, like a fist pump. And I wanted you to say warp part. Like every time we come up with a good idea, for those of you who've listened since the first episode of this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. If we just yelled out warp particles, particles. I yeah. think that that would be awesome. So you had a, 
You had a good work particle, work particle moment. Okay, that's yeah. good to know. But you know that yeah, that that fist was a very it was subtle though, right? It wasn't a big fist. Thing. It was. It was. I, I was exaggerating because yeah. I I was trying to be funny, but yeah. I I do think it's funny thinking about me pulling, you know, doing the same fist thing that Tiger Woods when he when he sinks a long putt, he's like, he does this thing. Maybe if yeah. I did that, that would that be would have been that would be cool. Yeah. Would that maybe that'll be your do over. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> Um, okay. I did like Balana calling you Starfleet. Why did we give that up? She should have called you Starfleet for seven years. Okay. I'm going to talk about this now. She called me Starfleet in the pilot episode, right? I called yeah. her, what did I call her? Maki or something? Maki. Yeah. yeah. Call me Starfleet. So that was cute. In here, I'm, after I get the idea right, I kind of pat Balana on the shoulder a little bit yeah. later on. There's a, there's some, you know, I thought that Kim and Balana were going to be the item. I didn't think I in my did wildest you really? dream. Really? Yes, I did. In my wildest dream, I thought there's no, you know, if you were to tell me right now, and I'm watching Voyager for the first time, and you're gonna tell me as a fan, and I'm not the actor, and you'd say, "Hey, guess what? That Paris character ends up marrying Bellana's character." I'd be like, "No, no. way! <laughs> I don't do that at all." And then for if you were to say. Kim has the old, you know, younger man, older woman relationship, which you never see in television. That would have been great to have that dynamic. I definitely think that the seeds well, of Kim Torres. I, I think that Tom Paris was a younger man for Bellana too. I mean, do you? I'm a, I think he was a little. I don't, no, I don't know. Not much. I would say <laughs> no. No, I think they were. They were about the same. <laughs> yes, they were. They were. Um, but the, yeah, <laughs> uh, I was. All, I mean, I'm still a very young man. You, you are, you're not an old man, no, but no. I would say you were more contemporary with her than I would have been, right? Yes, so, yes, nah, I think so. Okay, because um, even though we were four years apart, because having this Asian genetics, I probably look like I was 12 on the first yeah, season. Yeah, you, you look like you're about 13 now, so. Yeah, I look like 13 now, so yeah. 12 back. <laughs> yeah. Then it would have been great. Uh, um, by the way, it looked like you were running the show in engineering, and I thought that was kind of cool. That was fun. I was very yeah. It looked like it was nice to see Harry kind of, you know, kind of calling the shots in this one. And and ultimately, I think you know, well, we'll get there. But yeah. I think that this whole story was really good for your character, Alana. Yeah. You're right. It. I could have seen uh, a budding romance between uh, Harry and Alana for sure. I think this yeah. episode certainly, and 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 with what happened in the pilot, I'm sort of sharing that experience. Mm -hmm. um alana hasn't seen her dad since she's five years old yeah and dad dad went back to earth she says and mom is on the klingon homeworld home maybe world. she doesn't yeah. even know right she doesn't know um yeah all of a sudden that little bit of backstory for her made a lot of sense of why she was with the maquis and and um yeah. so many things and i didn't remember that yeah. little detail even though i married the woman i didn't remember the yeah <laughs> Also, when you see us on the bridge, um, I think it's the first time you see Janeway's console retract. I had the same was, thing. <laughs> you have that note also? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, people always wonder, they always ask me like, well, what was the bridge like? Was everything moving around and part moving stuff? And, and I said, well, really, no, just Janeway's console was the only thing that moved on the whole set. I remember when this yeah. moved the first time, Kate was like, well, where's the button for it? And there wasn't, <laughs> they, they didn't design a button. So if you notice... <sighs> She just touches the top of it as if that's doing something. It's really a guy with a, a remote control off stage hitting hitting the up button and the down button. She just touches as if it's like a touch thing because there was no there was no like 
up and down button for her. Yeah, she so. should have. She should have went Alakazam, open sesame, and then it just one voice yeah. reaction, yeah, you know, there, or some Harry Potter Patronus, some type of Harry Potter spell to open. It up. looked to me like when she pushed it, almost like like if you're in your car when you open up the uh, the glove box between the seats. Yes, it, yes. It looks like that because she that just technology. pushed it. Yeah, yeah. And pushed it, it and it just kind of comes up. So that's pretty funny. That's cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's something I didn't know. There's yeah, no I button. No, no button. She just touches the leather, <laughs> the leather on the top of the thing, and it magically opens. Um, uh, by the way, so when when Cass goes to talk to Janeway later on about the doctor, Cass yeah. is worried about the doctor. She's concerned, and she goes into Janeway's office, and she, and Janeway says, "Can I get you something uh, from my replicator?" And Cass goes, "Yes, please. Uh, spinach juice with a touch of pear." She says, "Tom Paris introduced me to it." What? When? When did I? When did I drink spinach? When did Tom Paris ever drink a health juice? Ever? He drank. He drank. You know, alcohol. I'm sure, and things like that. But I just that that was a funny little detail. Like, why would Tom Paris teach her about a spinach juice with pear? But that's funny. I wrote that down here as well. And now, yeah. in, and now thinking about it, as you're talking about it, she, instead of saying your name, she should have said Lieutenant, is it Baxter that the, the, the yes. guy played? Yeah, because remember, Baxter's in sickbay because of all the workouts he's doing. Like, he's constantly yeah, exactly. working out. So to have a healthy drink, that would have made sense. Lieutenant yes. taught me this drink. But yes, you were the one. But it's yes. also interesting because now this, this touches upon your real life. You are the mixologist of the Delta Flyers, and I you're doing the, videos yeah. of mixing drinks, and here we are talking about your drink uh, yes. prowess on Voyager. Yes, I'm gonna name this drink the Kess. <laughs> now during the conversation- with a touch of pear, <laughs> shake it up, strain it into a nice, a nice martini glass, and you have the Kess. The Kess. Hey, if we ever open a restaurant together, we're gonna offer this drink and call it the yes. Kess, okay? okay? So I think in this speech right here, this is sort of the hidden uh, message, really. Um, Janeway says that that uh, they've been talking about reprogramming the doctor because the whole meeting between Cass and Janeway is is to for her to express her concerns about how they've been treating the doctor. Yeah. Um, Janeway says they've been thinking, talking about reprogramming pro, reprogramming him. Cass says you can't you can do that. It doesn't seem right. Janeway says, well, he's only a hologram. Cass says he's your medical officer. He's alive. Janeway says, no, he's not. And then she says, Kes, he's self-aware, he's communicative, he has the ability to learn. And Janeway says, well, because he's been programmed to do that. And Kes replies with, so because he's a hologram, he doesn't have to be treated with respect or any consideration at all. And I think really, you know, the hidden meaning really for me is don't just talk about holograms, just talk about certain people. Right. There's certain people that people take advantage of um, and take or, or just really not necessarily take advantage of it, but you don't really consider. And I just think about in California, there are so many people that are um, working as housekeepers, you know, that are immigrants are, are, are mm. not you know, English is not their first language that a lot of these a lot of these you know, people that are part of the establishment really just look upon these people they, as subhuman, as really like, yeah. you know, you're just, you know, just it's the same way that we look at the doctor as a hologram. Mm. There are human beings now that look at other human beings as being the holograms. You know mm. what I'm saying? So I, yeah. I really, 
kind of, I felt that that was really the true message for me, at least from this episode, from that conversation. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I had the same moment. That was a pretty important moment for our series. It's a mm -hmm. turning point for Janeway, uh, who's sort of representing the, the she's the voice of, of our ship. She's the yeah. leader of the ship. <clears throat> She sort of expresses, oh yeah, he's he's just a hologram. He's he was yeah. programmed that way. Like she hasn't really up until this point considered that he's a member of the crew. Right. That he's should be treated as a member of the crew. And I think Kess's empathy for him and her pleading with with Janeway sort of turns that. And then the conversation later on. But yeah, uh, yeah I was really surprised to to hear her say, Well, we'll just reprogram him. Yeah. I mean that would have been, can you imagine if we just kept reprogramming and had a different doctor, different actor playing a, you know, the doctor. Oh my I mean, God. It would be like but, Dr. But Who. <laughs> yeah. But that's what she was sort of implying is like, oh yeah, he's just interchangeable. Yeah. Did you catch, Robbie, did you catch that? Uh, there's a segue between a bridge and sick bay. The segue scene, it's just a shot of Voyager sitting there in space. This is after we've tried to you know, reach out to uh, that transmission that we don't hear very well. And it's just Voyager, but you hear this engine running. It's like, hmm, did you catch that? It was just no. kind of a, it, to me, it was odd just to, to have that sort of sound going on, you know, but maybe they needed something to fill that space, uh, audio. I, I know that, I, I know when we used to go into looping and things and, I, and uh, when I directed, I'd go to the sound mix. Um, there is an engine, there's a ship sound that they keep under almost every scene. Okay. When we're on the ship and it's this yeah. sort of humming, humming noise. Yeah. Know? Maybe that's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Yep. There was one moment when Janeway just spit out some techno babble, you know, simply deconstruct the phase frequency. Blow. I couldn't even write it all down. But it was just <laughs> like, there was a whole scene where everybody started spitting out techno babble. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my God. Everybody's, uh, everybody's so smart. Uh, so you, so you were thinking, wow, everyone's so smart, and I'm sitting here piloting this ship. Is the is the reaction? Exactly. That you <laughs> I never, you'll never hear Tom's Paris spit out techno babble because I was horrible at it. Oh God! In sick bay, I don't know when the doctor says, "I was right in the middle of preparing a culture to test Lieutenant Hargrove for Arethian flu when Ensign Kyoto deactivated me." When he says that, did. Coronavirus coming to your head? No, I didn't. <laughs> when Janeway, yeah, Janeway goes in there and, and, and yeah. activates him to talk to him. And, and um, uh, she gives him, she talks about giving him control over his deactivation sequence. But when he's, ta when he's talking about that testing yeah. for the flu, I, I immediately was like, oh, God. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I think that scene was really important to me, the Janeway doctor scene, because mm -hmm. it's the very first time, besides Kess, who's just sort of, uh, she's an alien and she's she's observing his humanity and learning to empathize with him but it's the first time anyone on our crew has really interacted with him in that way and yeah. giving him this choice of of control over his uh his activation or deactivation is um yeah it's a big step it's a really big step and it just occurs to me just jumping to the end because he says something about make sure someone deactivates me before you leave. If, if you guys do get through this wormhole, if you do get transported through. Yeah. So I guess this is still on the table, right? Yeah. I assumed as soon as she said it, of course, he's going to be able to. Um, but, but in this episode, I don't think that gets resolved. I could be wrong, but I don't remember it getting resolved that he's now controlling it because 
Right. Because it hasn't been resolved yet. Right. No, so, no. So we'll see next was, week, I guess. Yeah. But just, just that whole scene, Bob Picardo did a great job. Um, cause it's, he's just so subtle and you can just see when Janeway talks to him and he's realizing like, oh my gosh, this is the yeah. captain and she's giving me the time of day. She's, she has made me a member of the crew. I'm not just an emergency program. I'm, I'm a member of the crew. And when she, you know, when she says, I'm going to think about giving you your chance to deactivate, you know, control over your mm -hmm. deactivation sequence. And she walks out, he just looks at yeah, her and it nice. just, it's just a really, really, really well nuanced um, scene by yeah. Bob Picardo, I felt. Yeah, I agree. Janeway's quarters. Uh, okay, let's talk about this. Oh my God. <laughs> about that oh hair. Oh my God. The nightgown. Okay, first of all, yeah, she wakes up, she gets a creepy call. She gets, okay, imagine <laughs> From <this>. me. <laughs> she, gets a, she gets a creepy call from you. Yeah. And then, hey, there's some stranger that wants to talk to you while you're in your negligee. Um, <laughs> It's creepy. Then she sits up and she's got more hair than Rapunzel. Like I've never seen so much hair and it's beautifully quaffed right out of like a spelling an Aaron spelling, you know, nighttime soap opera. It was, it was more hair than I've ever seen in my life. And then she's in this very kind of feminine negligee, you know, sleeping gown. Yeah. And, and, and then they're talking and then they get to the point where he says, well, uh, I don't know if I can trust you unless I can look at you. What? Oh, it was so sexualized. I'm sorry. That scene was like, I was like, why is she talking to this strange man in her bedroom like this? And then talking about, well, I want to, I want to see you. I'm sorry. I just, I, that's all I could think of was this is inappropriate. Okay, I I felt that the 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 admitted the inclusion of that nightgown was really a way of them to just to show her feminine side, her lighter side, I suppose. But but I I did have notes on the hair, and just so everyone knows, that's a wig. <laughs> um, just like they put a wig on Kess, they had Janeway had a wig. Um, yeah. Janeway's real hair color is reddish in color, right? Um, but. They never, you never see it because it's always been a wig. And to have those long flowing locks that are perfectly coiffed while she's sleeping was, you know. I found a lot, I found a lot of things in that scene distracting. Yeah, the wig was was just too much. It was over. On that note about exterior, you know, about one's exterior or outside looks, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I've come across more than one fan at a convention who has said, the same thing and that is your cast is too good looking have you have you ever heard that before i've had i've heard no that a lot. I, <laughs> no i could never hear that too much I could well, never, oh you're too good looking please no stop don't no I've, no i'm no, saying, I, I actually have not heard that I'm, I'm just saying if you go across the board if you start with the captain she facially speaking she is a very attractive irish american woman okay yes. um she her her features everything are, are in sync everything i mean she's a very she has a very pretty face uh attractive listen face. ethan he, phillips ethan phillips is a gorgeous <laughs> gorgeous hunk of masculinity <laughs> As far as character actors, they are. They are. They are. They're very handsome. Men. They're handsome men. Robert Picardo and Ethan Phillips. Yes, I, I, I was teasing because of the prosthetics. Yeah. And all. we've got a, we've got a handsome Latino uh, first officer. As yes. far as Latino actors are concerned, he's a handsome devil. Uh, you're a handsome white guy, you know, for a, yeah. a young white man. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
and then you know with mike <laughs> funny enough uh you're, Ensign, you're, a, you're a very handsome white guy too <laughs> thank Wait. you so much Ensign, <laughs> Ensign kim uh was mistaken by this one girl that was a, when she was young she told me uh, at a convention she said um i watch voyager and for the first seven years i'm very embarrassed to tell you but i thought your character's name was not ensign kim i thought it was handsome Kim <laughs> for the first seven years that she watched Voyager, <laughs> <That's very funny. laughs> which is hilarious because then you start thinking about every time that Janeway or anyone else is talking to me and if Janeway said, Ensign, status apart, this seven-year-old girl heard handsome, status apart, so <laughs> I'm handsome to everybody, but uh, you know, across the board, all the way to yeah. our Vulcan, our resident Vulcan, um, well, as, sorry, as, I digress. Yeah, as, as uncomfortable as I was in that bedroom scene where he needs to look at her. Um, mm. uh, I actually thought the theme of this episode came out in that scene with, with Jane Way sort of making family and uh, friends and our loved ones and the people that we're connected to the most important mission that she had. And I thought mm. that's a great lesson to me because, and it sort of plays out throughout the episode is that uh, yes, even though, you know, we have, Starfleet missions to do and there's and there's you know things to figure out with this wormhole to get back just anything she can do to connect her crew to the people they love mm -hmm. that's the most important mission to her mm -hmm. and and even even later on when we we get to the point where where our, our hearts are broken um she still wants to make it a priority that people get our communications and know that we're okay and connect family so uh, to me, that was that was the mission. That was the theme of the episode. To me, yeah, and really, that that was her way of persuading the Romulan to help us. Because in that bridge, that on-screen tra transmission between the Romulan and Janeway, Janeway does sort of plead to his sense of family about his own family. Yeah. You know, she asks him like, "Hey, you know, do you have a family?" And he's like, "Yep, I have a wife. I have a kid. I've been away for how old's your kid? Seven months. I've been away for a year on this mission." So. Um, Janeway is like, oh my God, you haven't even seen your daughter yet. And he's, and so that I think pulling on his heartstrings was really what got him to go. Okay. Because typically, you know, Romulan and, and Federation relations have never, have always been strained. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to have this connection, you're right. It was definitely a strong, uh, um, theme throughout this is, is the theme mm -hmm. of family. Yeah. Um, Let's see, Captain's Reading Room, Bellana informs the captain that we might be able to beam people over to the Alpha Quadrant, which is a huge, huge discovery on the part of Bellana. Um, well, it's a game changer. I mean, I, th yep. I think, and by the way, I think, you know, the, the, the science work that Harry and Bellana do in this episode is transformative. Like, they're, they're inventing things that have never been done before yep. in terms of science and space travel. You know, first of all, communi communication through something yeah. Uh, yeah. like this 30 centimeter wormhole and then using the transporter energy to, to piggyback. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, it, it's very creative and uh, a great twist and turn just plot wise for the episode, but also pretty profound for those two characters. It says a lot about what amazing scientists and, and what amazing minds that those two characters have, so. Right. Yeah. Um, we have a scene in sick bay where Kess tells the doctor that we might be transporting to the Alpha Quadrant. That was very sad to me. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. And his 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 response is, you know, well, I'll say goodbye now. I won't be transporting with the rest of you. And we 
feel for him. And so yeah. that's that's the first time you really realize that, oh my gosh, this character is, it, the character development is just getting to you because you do care about that. You do feel bad for him that he's going to be left behind well, in the Delta yeah. Quadrant, right? And he's got so many twists and turns in this episode. You know, he starts mm -hmm. off being ignored and yeah. then and then the captain comes in and he's treated like, finally, he's, a, he's treated like an equal member of the crew. And then now Kess is saying, oh, we're leaving. Oh, now he's not a real member of the crew because he can't come back with him. Yeah. So it's like a yo-yo emotionally for him. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's structured by the writers really, really well, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was kind of very quick of him to volunteer to beam over to Voyager and then back after just basically one test of beaming over that one cylinder and <laughs> made this guy go, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine with being beamed all the way to the Delta Quadrant. I don't know if that bothered you or not, but uh, I felt that was a little odd. Yeah, no, I, I, I went with it. Uh, transporter room, Telecromore beams in. Tuvok spoils the party by discovering the reason uh, for the uh, phase variants mm -hmm. uh, that he is from another time. To me, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what I just said about you and Bellana, but game changer, the the technology then and the creativity you guys had, but then the fact that you did this through time. You know what I mean? It's like we've yeah. just figured out a trick to time travel here. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time 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 uh timeline stories were always hard for me as an actor to wrap my head around. They're interesting as an as a viewer. It is. Um, and I find it interesting that Tuvok basically spoils the party twice. <laughs> First, we discover he's from the wrong time. And then after he beams back successfully the, with our yeah. messages, then Tuvok's like, oh, by the way, Captain Janeway, um, he dies four years before he's supposed to send the messages. So it's a double whammy for the crew. Yeah, yeah, it was it was heartbreaking. And uh, I think that Romulan, you know, was a good guy. I think Von Armstrong did a did a great job. Um, yeah, he did a wonderful job in that role. Um, Von Armstrong has done a lot of Star Trek. I was just looking. He was a number of uh, characters on our show. Well, he was a Vidian captain. He was an Alpha Herogen. He was I, he I was uh, Telecromore. He was Lancer, two of nine. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. He was Korath in Endgame. I mean. Yeah. So many characters on our show. He's just done a ton of, of, uh, of great Star Trek work. So I didn't realize how much he had done. He's really prolific. DS9, uh, his work DS9. on DS9. Well, the funny thing about um, Vaughn, <laughs> Vaughn and I were actually at a convention in, in England and we were hanging out and... Um, and I said, did you do Voyager at all? Because you've done so many. And he's like, well, yes. And I said, what episode? And he says, I played Telecromore. And I go, oh, my God. And this is like, man, two or three years ago yeah. that I realized that that was him. You know, and I yeah. said, oh, my God, Vaughn, you did a great yeah. job. I mean, you really did. And I had no clue that that was Vaughn. Because sometimes, you know, actors come in and they come in so early to do, to do prosthetics and makeup if they're alien. And they leave after we all do that we never get to see their yeah, faces, right? So, when a lot of times because we didn't have prosthetics on, we'd come in much later. So the guest stars would already be in the chair; they'd have most of their rubber on their face. So I often never knew what some of these actors looked like that were playing yeah. our guest stars. No clue. Never, never met them. 
No clue. Uh, we'd come in after after they were in the makeup and we'd leave before they got it off. So, yeah, long days on the set. My last thing I would say is I uh, I thought it was great with the doctor at the end having the sort of lesson that he learned of speaking directly. He said, you know, he said, uh, you know, if if uh, I'm the I'm the senior doctor here, senior medical officer. If you have a question, d- direct it t- to me or speak mm-hmm. directly to me or something. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, yeah. oh, and then he, you know, and then, uh, and then he, he's asked the doctor and, but I thought that was an interesting lesson in life. Like instead of getting, you know, uh, your feelings hurt and acting passive aggressive and being, you know, sarcastic and rude and all the things that the doctor often had been with people because he was feeling, and I get why he was feeling disrespected or whatever, but when he actually just spoke up directly to the to the lieutenant and said, speak to me. I'm right here. Speak to me. If he had done that earlier, he probably would have saved himself a lot of grief. So it was a good lesson for me of like, yeah, just speak up. Like don't harbor resentments. And Very true. That's a good lesson. Um, and then he asked at the very end that he would like a name, which is kind of yeah. cool that he's, yeah. he's getting self-aware more, uh, more and more each episode. Um, back to Vaughn Armstrong uh, and Telegramore. Uh, I watching this episode was good for me because I finally realized there's there's a story that I've been talking about when I'm at conventions I'll, I will joke about the weirdest line that Harry Kim has ever uttered out of his mouth and I always thought it was from this episode but as I watched it it's not from this episode because it's on the bridge the line that I'm referring to it's on the bridge and Janeway says to me Harry did the probe go through and I look at her and I say like a snake through a tube, Captain. That's my freaking crazy ass line. And that is not in this episode. So I, this must have been a later episode where Janeway says that. Um, so I just want to throw that out there for anybody listening who've, who has heard me talk about this at a convention. That Like a snake through a tube. Yeah. Yeah. You guys out there listening, you can use that, that saying anytime <laughs> you want. Just if somebody asks you a question, just... Even if it makes no sense, just say, oh yeah, like a snake through a tube and see how they, see how they react. Let's try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you. Robbie, yeah. Yeah. what time is it? What time is it? Oh, the time? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a snake through a tube. <laughs> You're <Okay>. welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are so welcome. All righty. So um, I guess that is the end of our recap of Eye yes, of the Needle. Yes, it is. So that is the end of this episode. Join us next week when we will be reviewing and discussing ex post facto.